Welcome to The Leadership Project. This is Charles Smith. Today, we're going to be talking about 16 leadership lessons that I learned the hard way. Uh, if you've been listening along with us, this is part three of a multi-part uh, series, and it's based off an article I wrote over at the Gospel Coalition a few months ago, and I've received uh, a lot of just good feedback, a lot of people resonating with it and going, man, I'm learning these lessons too, or gosh, uh, I struggle with that too. And so we're just kind of talking through some of these uh, with you today and, uh, and, and want to share them with you. Nothing's profound about any of this, but I think they're helpful reminders um, of, of, of things we ought to be pursuing. And uh, oftentimes there are things that, that you really don't go, oh gosh, yes, that, that is a, a common struggle of leaders until you, you've led in, uh, in significant ways. And so this was the case with me. I kind of grew up reading leadership. Um, being interested in leadership, watching my father and others lead in meaningful ways. But it was really just theory until I, I began entering the workforce and served at a couple churches and, and things like that and, and really had to translate theory into practical leadership skills and, and man, continually and continue to, by the way, hit my head up against a wall and I had to stop and go, oh man, that, that, that hurt. What, what happened there? And I've tried to compile uh, 16 of the most common things, uh, because if you're on my team, uh, you, you're, you're laughing at this, or if you just know me, if you're, you're my wife, you're going, they're not just 16, Charles, there's actually uh, 6,000, and God's grace uh, covers them all. But, uh, but these are things I'm working towards, and I hope to share with you in hopes that they, they encourage and help you. So number 11, which is our, uh, our, our first one, uh, in the hopper today, is that Simon Sinek was right. Simon Sinek was right. And if you you know that name, you probably know the book, Start With Why. And in his book, uh, which began, by the way, as a TED Talk that you can go find, and I'll try to put in the show notes, uh, but Simon Sinek essentially um, extols the power of why. That so much of our, our human um, activity, so much of... of uh, our ability to follow a leader, for example, is based on the why. Why are we doing this? And oftentimes we as leaders, he argues, and, and I, man, I have certainly found this to be true, though people may not be asking you this question explicitly as you're talking, as you're vision casting, as you're in your weekly meeting sharing that we're going to do X, Y, and Z, the people in the room more times than not uh, especially if they're, they're leaders, uh, people, people that are thinking critically with you, they're asking why. They're not just assuming that because you want to do it, it's a good idea. They're, they're asking why. And so great leaders, good leaders, if, if they want to uh, inspire the buy-in of people that, that serve alongside of them, um, they start with why. They assume that people are asking that question. So I write in the article, Simon Sinek argues that great leaders inspire action by starting with why it's needed starting with why it's needed. So think about that as you're, you're doing something as small as calendaring with your spouse and saying, hey, we're going to do this next week, or I want to go on this trip, not that trip. Uh, just get in the habit of cultivating an appreciation for articulating the why. 
Why are we doing that? Why do you see that? Why do you have these convictions? Where do you see that in Scripture? Those sorts of things. You don't necessarily have to defend where you're going on vacation based on Scripture. <laughs> Perhaps you do. But, uh, but more times than not, just, just err on the side of people don't know why you want to do this, and good things happen when they do. So learn to incorporate context and even the, the why and daily conversations with staff. You're standing in, in line uh, waiting to get your coffee and you're talking about something mundane. Assume that they're curious about why you believe that. And, uh, and that, that can be a really helpful thing. I mentioned in the article, uh, doing this will both anchor task uh, in vision and also inspire deeper commitment and effort. So anchoring task in the why uh, will help with vision uh, and help with follow through and help with things like uh, delegation, but it will also inspire deeper commitment and effort. Okay, so so Simon Sinek was right in his book, Start With Why. Uh, you should read that book, and if you don't read the book, you should definitely consider watching his TED Talk. And again, his TED Talk is going to talk about marketing and things like that, but the fundamental premise behind everything he's saying is we as humans gravitate towards significance. We as humans, even if we don't think about it consciously all day long every day, are just wired to, to step towards meaning and significance and want to understand things. And so we as leaders, if we want to draw people towards a, a vision and a preferred future, if we want people to, to follow us uh, as we take initiative for the glory of God and the good of others and serve alongside of us, we have to give them a picture of what we ourselves are pursuing. What is it that, that God has shared with you? What is it that, that you're motivated about? What is it that you're wanting to accomplish? And when we do that, not only do, do we connect with them in really deep and profound ways uh, that inspire all sorts of, of uh, passion and follow-through uh, and health within organizations, uh, th those things can be, be really, really helpful to you. So I, I want to encourage you to listen to that TED Talk. And if anything else, just note that, man, it's helpful to over-communicate. And as I over-communicate, to anchor what we're doing in a more significant why. So, so Simon Sinek was right. Start with why. Help your people see why we're doing the things you're doing. Number 12, and the second thing on this podcast is over-communicate. And I've already mentioned some of this, and this is why these things are connected. But over-communicate, and I write in the article at TGC, I'm convinced it's impossible to over-communicate within an organizational context. And, and if you're familiar with leadership, you're going, and that is so right. And it's also like, I, I can remember having our first child, and every person you talk to says, oh my gosh, they're going to grow up so fast. And then you go to the, the next thing and the next group says, oh my gosh, they're going, to, you know, they're going to grow up so fast. And you can kind of be annoyed by it. And then when your kids are getting five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you go, oh my gosh, my kids have grown up so fast. And you learn there's just truth to this. And for me, the, 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 the call to over-communicate Man, it's like in, it's in every book you read, and it's just common vernacular of organizational life. And, and I've just learned it's common vernacular because it's true. It is uncanny how I can feel like I have clearly articulated something. I, I wrote something carefully in an email, or I did it in an email and in person, and, and just that you still miscommunicated. 
And maybe you didn't miscommunicate. Maybe you were, you were sufficiently clear. And just because of, of human nature and the fast-paced world we live in, uh, people misunderstood what you said. This happened just yesterday. Just yesterday, I was copied on emails uh, and, and thought, what in the world? I, I, I know I already, um, it was clear what we were supposed to do here. And so I, I called the person and, and sure enough, we just had a misunderstanding of what my email meant. And I went back and read my email uh, now with the benefit of a, a month later. And yeah, it's kind of unclear. And there are three different options of what you could do based on what I said. And so, uh, man, over-communicate, develop a clear vision, mission, and strategy. We've already talked about this in former podcasts. And convey it until you're blue in the face, I write at TGC. Talk about it in meetings, integrate it into discussions and whiteboard sessions. Uh, Overdo it. And you'll hear people say, by the time the leader is exhausted and fatigued of saying it, uh, that's only when the people you're speaking to have really heard it for the first time. So let's say you're a pastor. Pastor, by the time you're communicating to your staff to the point where you're tired of hearing it, they're just hearing it for the first time. And by the time your staff is sick of hearing it, the congregation is hearing it for the first time. So you think about the, the levels of communication it takes to get to that point it's pretty all-encompassing, and I think that is the task of leadership, is establishing and communicating clarity. Establishing and communicating clarity. Some of the most helpful books on this, uh, for me, one, one of just kind of the organizational toolkits that I like to pull out a lot is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. If you've read Patrick Lencioni, uh, he's got a lot of books that are little parables uh, where he teaches a principle through story. And what he's done in The Advantage is basically taking all of his books, taking the stories out, and just giving you the straight stuff. And, and the book is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. I think the byline is why organizational health trumps everything. And he just makes the argument that, look, the task of leadership is really establishing where we're going, establishing clarity, being very, very clear on who we are, why we are, where we're going, and how we're going to do it. And then secondly, relentlessly communicating those things in a variety of settings. You don't do it just in a memo. You don't do it just in the, uh, the elevator during a conversation with, with friends. You don't do it just at staff meetings. You communicate uh, clarity and vision and values and, and all the things we've talked about in a thousand different ways. It's, it's got to be part of the daily fabric and rhythm of what you do as a leader. It's just to communicate. And it's something that you really can't delegate. Uh, you have to carry the mantle of vision and you have to carry the responsibility of communicating. So over communicate. Number 13 is know and protect your priorities. Know and protect your priorities. And I mentioned in the article, uh, I say this, limitations force leaders to make choices. Whether you lead a team of two or 2,000, you cannot, and listen, should not, do everything. Refer to your vision. Refer, refer to your values. Refer to your strategy. What is central to the mission? Memorize and protect these things. And we've already talked about this a little bit in a, in a former podcast, and I think it's uh, number 10 in this article, Define Your Values and Protect Your Culture. And we mentioned on point 10 that culture eats strategy for lunch. 
that that culture eats strategy for lunch. Who you are will drive what you do all day long. And this is true of number 13, to to know and protect your priorities. Uh, In an organization, especially in a fast-paced organization, things change at lightning pace. Uh, Change, uh, things happen and change at a a lightning pace. And so as that happens, you've got to be able to grab what matters uh, when things are changing. And you can't grab what matters. You you can't remind people of your priorities and, and, and what's central to your mission if you haven't established what those things are. And so one of the ways you you, uh, you, you establish and, and prioritize your, your values and your priorities, one of the ways you, you know what you're about is, is by just establishing those things with your team and asking questions like, one of the things we do here at, at Midwestern, at least when the, within our division, is I ask the question, when the building's on fire, what do you grab? When the building's on fire, what do you grab? And I think that's a helpful question. When, you, when, you're, when your office, um, let's say the Office of Communications here at Midwestern Seminary, that, that is uh, not huge, but let's say they have eight or nine staff members, and at any given time, they have literally hundreds of projects going on. And so oftentimes, uh, something happens where, where they need to zig or zag or make a change, and the question, hey, what are we going to grab when things get crazy and we have to reduce down and only do the fundamentals, what are those things? And what that exercise does is it it gets people in a rhythm and gets people familiar with, okay, we're going to try to knock out these hundreds of projects, but but if we only can focus on the core, if something were to happen, which by the way happens all the time where you just kind of have to keep the main thing the main thing, if you don't know what the main thing is, you can't keep it the main thing. So, so identify what those things are. Know and protect your priorities. And don't let the good eat the great. Rehearse and guard your priorities. And rehearse and guard those things by just asking what they are. Being clear about that. And, and again, um, one of the things we've done that's been really helpful at Midwestern Seminary, to go back to Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, but in The Advantage, he invites um, any organization, whether it's a team or a family or an entire uh, organization, he invites them to develop what he calls a playbook. And in the playbook, uh, you answer six fundamental questions, and I may not be able to rattle all these off, but the, the six are something to the effect of, why do we exist? I mean, what, what, what are we about? Why, why are we here? Which is, by the way, a harder question to answer than you think. Uh, you also ask the question, um, how do we behave? Which is a question about values. So at Midwestern Seminary and our division, Institutional Relations, we've said that, that our values are to be hungry, to be humble, to be smart and to be happy. So, so how do we, how do we behave? Um, another question is, how do we succeed? How do we succeed? And that's a question of, it's not necessarily objections and things you're trying to do this year. It's not necessarily values that are kind of up at 30,000 feet, but it's kind of this 10,000 foot reality of over the next two to three, four years, our general strategy can be described as X, Y, and Z. And so, again, those are the things that may seem like, man, why, why would we sit down and take the time to do that? You would do that because it helps communicate to your team 
why we do the things we do and why we make the decisions we make. And by the way, not only helps explain decisions that you make, it frees them to make decisions that they need to make. So when the entire team knows why we exist, why we behave, what's most important right now, which is one of the questions, and, and can answer the question, how will we succeed? What are, what are our four to five to six fundamental strategies as a team? Uh, they're free to pursue the right things, and they're free, by the way, to be able to prioritize the, the, the priorities, right? So if you can answer the question, what's most important right now, you know what to grab when the building's on fire. Okay, uh, a couple other questions in the advantage and in the playbook uh, is who must do what? Who must do what? So every year we sit down and we build a playlist. We build a playlist as a division. We build a playlist for every team within the division. And then every member on the team has kind of their annual, uh, what we call KRA, which is a key result area. So it's kind of like a job description, but it's more goal-oriented and project-oriented. These are the things that I want to accomplish this year. These are the goals I want to hit. And so when you have clarity on those sorts of things and you have clarity in that uh, the document on who does what, you're not assuming what the priorities are. And in that particular question, you're not assuming who does what. And oftentimes where, where things get dropped is in that murky middle where you haven't take, taken the time to ask the simple question, who does what? What aspect of this playbook is Sally responsible for? What aspect of this playbook is Tom responsible for? And what I found, this simple exercise invariably exposes massive assumptions that actually Tom thought that Sally was doing it and Sally thought Tom was doing it, which meant, guess what? No one was going to do it, which means six months uh, in the year, somebody's going to wake up and go, man, nobody has been, uh, been, been doing this thing. It's back to the old adage of when two people feed a horse, the horse doesn't get fed uh, because the, one is always assuming the other's doing it. So, so know and protect your priorities, clarify your vision and values. Uh, I know I'm kind of preaching on these things, but this is a lesson I've learned that you cannot assume on people. You cannot assume your priorities are their priorities. Even if they're on your team and work with you every day, just assume they don't understand, assume they have different priorities and take the time to slow down and establish a mission, establish a vision, establish a strategy, uh, set goals, and and do that together as a team. Invite them into that process. That doesn't um, circumvent your responsibility as a leader to, to have the final say, but give them a voice in that. Listen to them, as we've talked about in an early podcast, and then establish those things together, stack hands, commit to it, and get after it. So know and protect your priorities. And then finally, to lead is to be misunderstood. This is number 14 in the article over at TGC, but to lead is to be misunderstood. And if you've led for long or you've just been a human for long, you know that, that uh, to lead is to be misunderstood. I write in the article that despite our best efforts to communicate clearly, some will be confused. Despite having sought advice and moving slowly, some will call you a reckless maverick. Despite your pure intentions, some will question your motivation. 
And ultimately, it's impossible to lead without sometimes being misunderstood. Listen to the legitimate concerns. We talked about this earlier, that we, we listen to our team. We, in fact, want to go way out of our way to build a team of truth tellers and to listen even to our critics. So we listen for legitimate concerns. We make necessary adjustments and necessary clarifications. And then I write in the article that we trust Jesus with the rest. And, and that's one of the reasons uh, that I am so passionate about when it comes to leadership, getting beneath the typical leadership conversations and talking about matters of identity and belonging and being and who we are as Christians in Christ and where our identity resides. And it's not, by the way, in what others think of us, whether we have, uh, you know, someone listens to us and understands what we're saying. It's not in whether or not we were being uh, misunderstood or maligned or, or criticized. No, it's in the fact that in Christ, we have died. We have been raised to new life. We now walk with Jesus uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Spirit and will one day be with him for all eternity and the things we now uh, look to in hope we will realize in full. And so if those things are true, man, that enables you to really be misunderstood and instead of fight to be understood and to respond to criticisms because your life depends on it and your identity depends on it and your platform depends on it, you're able to come alongside and love and actually serve that person, to actually serve that person. And until your identity is rooted in something other than your reputation and your success, you friends are fundamentally, I am fundamentally incapable of doing that. That really when I'm seeking reconciliation in those spaces, in my sin and in my flesh, I'm really serving myself. I'm really wanting to right a wrong because I don't want you to see me in a light uh, that's unfavorable because I can't take it. I can't tolerate it. Uh, my, my ego is too sensitive and wrapped around what you think. But if in Christ I'm freed from that, I'm able to put my significance in who he says I am, that I'm a son and daughter of God, that I'm an heir of God himself. If that's true, then I'm freed to, to lead not, not for approval, but from a position of approval and love you truly. I get to take the mask off. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be anything for you. And I'm actually, I free my hands from holding the mask and can now reach out and serve you. And so, man, this is what leadership is. Leadership is trying to communicate as clear as you can to establish a direction, to lead with conviction and courage and, and, and communicate clearly and all these things, but to, to acknowledge that, man, in a fallen world with fallen men and women leading, with fallen men and women listening, you will nearly constantly be misunderstood by someone. And if that ruffles your feathers in really disruptive ways, you won't be leading for long. And I think so much of what we see in, in people burning out, especially in ministry, is uh, their identity uh, is rooted in something other than Christ. Their identity is rooted in the fact that, that they're well thought of, uh, they have a great reputation, uh, people are following them, and all those things we see in Scripture, we should pursue. In fact, those are the very qualifications, some of them, of eldership. 
is, is that we would be men of good reputation and, and things like that. So that's not a bad thing. We should pursue that. But we pursue those things from a, pers- uh, from a perspective of who we are in Christ, not f- for the perspective of who we are in our followers or who we are in our organization or who we are in our friendships or even our marriage and family. So this is critical to get right. There, there's nothing more important in leadership and leadership development than getting the matter of identity right. Because if you don't get that right, you build a castle on the sand. But if we get that foundation right, we build a foundation of stone in Christ and continue to build that until the day we die. We can build a house of leadership on top of that that will stand. It will stand against criticism. It'll stand against occasionally being misunderstood. And and we can clear up miscommunications in a spirit of love, not in a spirit of, uh, of, of, of trying to shore up who we are and who our reputation is. So this is important. So this is Charles Smith. This have been, these have been five leadership lessons I've learned, not the easy way, but the hard way. There are five of undoubtedly 5,000 that I'm learning and will continue to learn and mistakes I've made. And I am hope to share them with you in, in uh, hopes that they encourage you, they strengthen your leadership, uh, wherever that may be. And I'm uh, praying for you this week and look forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye.